Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode four of the Successful Fashion Designer podcast, and today I'm chatting with Marissa Borelli, who didn't even discover fashion as a career option until her junior year in college when she fell in love with the industry. She ditched UCLA, moved to New York City, and enrolled in Parsons, all without the support of her parents. Marissa's been working as a designer for over 10 years for brands like Lululemon and Athleta. She had her own line of scarves with distribution to over 60 retail outlets internationally, and she now freelances full-time from the comfort of her home while being a twin mom to two little boys. Marissa shares exactly how she pitches new clients, prices her projects to make a fair wage, and successfully does that scary networking thing to get more work. Before we jump into the interview, I want to let you know that I've prepared something extra special for you for this episode. Marissa gave us so much great advice and tricks to land freelance work that I created a step-by-step checklist plus swipe copy email templates you can use to get more work. You can find this free resource on the Successful Fashion Designer Network at sfdnetwork.com slash download four. That's download and the number four. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash four. Now onto the interview with Marissa. Um, okay, so why don't we first start out, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started working in fashion. Yeah, um, so my name is Marissa, and I've been designing now for 10 years, but I started, um, I went to UCLA to play volleyball, and then I studied abroad. I actually quit volleyball because they weren't going to let me study abroad, and I'm obsessed with traveling, so... When I was studying in Italy, I took a fashion class, and then ever since then, I've been wanting to do it. So, but what I did was like marry my two loves. Like I design activewear, so I get to work in fashion, but then I also get to work in sports, and so those are my two favorite things. And um, after UCLA, I went to Parsons in New York City. And that was such a blast and so hard. <laughs> it was very, um, <laughs> that program was tough. Um, but New York City, you know, is an awesome spot to live in and so inspiring. And, you know, you're with students from all over the world. And now my friends, you know, they still work all over the world. But, um, yeah. And then after that, I moved back to Los Angeles and, started working for like a startup company. So I was their only employee. Um, and they brought me on to design, but then I ended up doing like sales and marketing and website design and, you know, production. And, um, so yeah, that was a good, uh, learning experience. (laughs) Yeah. So did you, had you ever really thought about fashion before you like randomly wound up taking this course uh, when you were abroad? No, not to do for work. Um, you know, I always loved fashion, but I never thought that that was going to be my career. Um, cause at UCLA, we don't have 
uh, a fashion program. I think they have like a costume design, uh, maybe like minor, but they don't have, you know, a fashion program. So it wasn't really an option. And I went to UCLA to play volleyball. Like that was the main that was reason, the reason why I went there. Yeah. yeah. And then I kind of shifted gears um, once I quit. And then I was able to, you know, study Italian and fashion and changed what I wanted to do. How so. far into your education was that, like, discovery of fashion? Junior year. Okay. So you, you yeah. were, like, pretty well invested already in that. Then did you feel like, what was that transition like? Were you scared to be like, ah, I'm going to not do this and I'm going to pursue this other thing that's, like, kind of a 180? Or, I mean, how did, how did that transition feel? I was super excited about it. My parents were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was like, what are you doing? Um, and like when they moved me out to New York City, they they came out there for like a few days to help me try to find an apartment. And it's such a nightmare trying to find a place in New York. Um, so my parents just left me and I lived in a hostel for the first like two weeks of school because we, I couldn't find a place. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were, they weren't super supportive. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it didn't really matter to me. Like I knew what I, what I wanted to do. <laughs> so. And so this is actually really interesting because I experienced almost the exact same thing. I went to school for business and then I was like, I can't do this. This is horrible. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I discovered graphic design and I like pitched it to my mom and dad and they were like, what? You're going to be studying <laughs> art? And they just, they, they were really, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, they're your parents. So they're like there for you, but they were really not they were not into it and I really had to sell them on it. And even once I sold them on it, they were not really that excited. And it wasn't until years later that I actually got success in that industry and then ultimately wound up turning that into a career in fashion that they were like, okay, yeah, this is something we get it. So did you like, after you were able to show them, uh, or actually let me rewind on that question, because before we even get to that, like what were they not supportive of? Because this is something I've heard from a lot of other people in the industry too. Yeah. Yeah. My dad wanted me to study business too. Um, his dad started a real estate company. And so then my dad took it over when he was 22. So I don't know if that he was thinking like, I was just going to come home and work for the family business. But, um, you know, I didn't come home for 12 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> California is great. And Northern California is beautiful. But, um, you know, I wanted to move around and experience new things. So I think they weren't super happy about that you know sending me to UCLA they were like oh our daughter's gonna go to this awesome school and go get a job right after and then it's like oh no now I'm gonna move to New York and study fashion he's like what what are you doing yeah <laughs> um but yeah and they didn't come visit me like it wasn't <laughs> <not looking back. laughs> yeah they weren't super supportive I guess but mm. um I don't know my parents are also kind of tough love parenting um they <laughs> when I was studying abroad I was in Prague and uh I got everything stolen my friends and I um we got our passports our credit cards our cell phone our IDs everything stolen and we called like each one of us called our parents um and my parents or my dad just said figure it out and hung up the phone on me yeah so yeah I think they kind of let me do what they do what I want. 
But at the end of the day, you wanted to pursue this so badly, and you just said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do with or without your support. Like, I want this. Right. And and that's kind of, you had to take reins in your own life. Yeah, because my boyfriend at the time wasn't happy either. So, um, but then, you know, in New York City, it's so easy to meet people. Um, Everybody moves there to do their dream. And whether that's, you know, finance or arts or design or it could dance, you know, it could be anything. Um, but so everyone's there without any family, like without any support system. So the people that I met my first week at school, I'm still really good friends with now. So that turned into your support system. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. Um Okay, so you were out there for, for many years, and you said like your first real job in the industry was back on the West Coast working for mm-hmm. a startup. How did you get your foot in the door with them? So actually, I know the girl from growing up. Um, her name's Carrie Walsh. She plays beach volleyball in the Olympics. Okay. Um, she wanted to start a clothing line. Um, and, you know, she obviously is very good at volleyball, but she hadn't done anything in fashion. So... Um, she heard that I was graduating school and moving back to LA and that's where she's in. She's in LA. So, um, they were like, Oh, do you want to come work for us and for in design? I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But then I ended up doing or being in charge of, you know, production and sales and, um, you know, doing trunk shows and pop-up shops and things like that. Um, so it was a good, uh, like you know, throw, throw yourself in learning experience. But I mean, that's just startups. So I think that's probably why I still like freelancing because you have your hands in lots of different areas. You know, it's not CAD all day, every day. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so speaking of freelance, you're a freelance designer and have worked with some really big names, Lululemon, Athleta, Ralph Lauren, Swiss Army, Victorinox. And so you went from this startup like, how did you start branching into some of these really big companies? Because some of those opportunities that could be hard to get your foot in the door, did you know people? Or, like, what did you do to land some of those gigs? Yeah. So, basically, um, what I would suggest, too, for people is um, networking is huge. And not necessarily, like, let me go to a trade show and meet people. It's more, you know, keep keeping in touch with all your contacts from before Mm -hmm. because you never know where they're going to end up later. So I actually worked for Ralph Lauren back when I was at Parsons. Um, And because I was so niche, I wanted to do activewear at Parsons. No one was, no one wanted to design activewear. Mm. So when I went to like the, you know, there was a Ralph Lauren table, like, Oh, come work for us. And um, there weren't many people wanting to do golf. Like I went into women's golf. Um, and then I was doing like the women's tennis and then I was working on Wimbledon. So you have to just be willing, I, I like riches and they're in the niches. <laughs> I totally believe that. Um, you know, back when I started freelancing and I started like, a, I called myself an active lifestyle consultant and I started that about six years ago. Um, and it was right after I worked for Lululemon. Um, so, okay, sorry, let me back up. Uh, and at Parsons, I was working at Ralph Lauren and Swiss army and the head designer at Swiss army came from Ralph Lauren. So once he saw on my resume that I'd worked at Ralph Lauren, he's like, Oh, I work the same way. Mm. You know, we set up our concept board first 
and then we figure out our trims and then we meet with the designers and we give them like the vibe and then they come up with the designs and then we do a presentation. Like Ralph Lauren is very, very structured. It's insane. Um, and everything's sketched out and illustrated and the, the CAD comes way later. Um, so that's how I landed that job, you know, so they kind of trickle down off each other. Yeah. Um, and then after K active, which was Carrie Walsh's line, my startup, the startup that I worked at first, uh, then I went to Lululemon cause I was wanting to do something with like a bigger company. Um, so I did actually visual merchandising for them. And then I was assistant manager at a store. So I worked the corporate side and when they wanted me to move up to uh, Vancouver, like I went up and interviewed in Vancouver for a design job because they only take you in Vancouver for design. Oh. Um, my husband or my boyfriend at the time, he proposed. So it just, the timing didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they weren't going to give like both of us a working visa. So instead of staying in the stores, which I didn't want to do, like I wanted to design, uh, I started freelancing. So then I left Lululemon and then I was freelancing. And my first freelance job was, um, working for TJ Maxx and Marshalls. Um, and I think I found that one maybe like off of Craigslist. Oh really? Yeah. And it's not like he advertised it as it's, it was green apple active. And so that brand's still around, but He used to do So Sporty and Green Apple at TJ Maxx and Marshalls. Mm -hmm. So for, they were hiring a designer just to do the TJ Maxx and Marshalls brand. So I had no idea what I was interviewing for. I go in, you know, and he's like, oh, like, you know, obviously I have to have a portfolio and um, your resume, but I think it's more personality, you know, like how well can you get along with people? Um, Freelancing, you know, we were freelancing like out of his house. Like he set up one of his, he had a second house. And so he had it set up as like a little office. So, um, you know, can you work in these kind of strange working environments? You know, can you work from home, (laughs) you know, or do you need more structure? Like my husband needs more of a structured office, whereas I can work from Mexico or from Taiwan or (laughs) I can kind of work from wherever. Um, but yeah, um, And then after that, I'm trying to think where I went next. Oh, I started my scarf line. Oh, yeah. Um, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So uh, I was freelancing and I was doing, yeah, Green Apple. And then I was also doing stuff for Race Ready. Um, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're a super niche running brand. All they did was running shorts. Um, And they had these patented crazy five pockets on the back. Um, but you know, I was like, Oh, this is awesome. So I started working for them and I launched my scarf line at the same time. Um, when I was working at Lululemon, I always wanted something to like cool me down after our workouts. Cause at Lululemon, you know, you work out like three times a day at all the different studios. And, um, so I wanted something that was really soft. Uh, I love Lululemon's clothes, but they don't have, it's, you know, it's very synthetic it's not a ton of cotton mm-hmm. and bamboo. So, um, I was looking for something, you know, that you just like drape over yourself. And, um, so I started the, the scarf line and I called it a Borelli scarf and, you know, I sourced all the fabric and 
I got it into about 60 retail outlets, um, about in five different countries. Wow. And yeah. And so that was a really good learning experience too. I did that over four years. Um, but yeah, and those, a lot of those stores came from the contacts I made at Lululemon or the ones I made at K active. So if you stay in the same, uh, realm, you know, like the same, uh, not the same industry, but the same like niche of fashion, then all those contacts you've made before, you know, as long as you're a a good person and (laughs) you're nice to everybody, um, you know, they want to help you out. So I would just do a trunk show at some, you know, at a Pilates studio or maybe get into a yoga studio, you know, they would start buying it wholesale. Um, but yeah, so they've all like built upon each other. Okay. You've said so many things that are like, I, that I want to touch on and part of them were parts of my questions that I already had outlined. So, um, let me just go through kind of one by one. The first one is that you made the comment earlier and I literally have this on my, on my sheet <laughs> of that your personality and like that you can just kind of like mesh with the group and you can work in this odd environment if it's like out of someone's house or like on the road or wherever it be. Um, and so in, in one of your bios, you had a testimonial and it says, um, her creativity with product and her fun personality was what made her stand out and why I would work with her again. And so it's like being a good designer is really key, but people Mm -hmm. also have to like you. Right. (laughs) And so I mean, part of that is just your personality at the end of the day. We can't all like each other. Um, but, like, are there any things you feel like you've just done to make yourself easy to work with um, and to get asked back or to, you know, two years later go out to that buyer who you knew from Lululemon and say, hey, I just launched my own label and it's not, it's not competitive to Lulu. It's complimentary. Like, here's what I'm doing. And she still remembers you and she still likes you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what have you – have you really done anything strategic to – maintain those relationships and be quote unquote easy to work with and have a fun personality? Um, there's a few things and this, sometimes people think this is a bad thing, but, um, saying yes to everything. Um, you know, when you're at a job, this is one of my pet peeves when, um, you ask someone to do something like, Oh, that's not in my job description or, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not my responsibility. I think that's what you learn working for startups is, it's everyone's responsibility. And so you need to pack, pick up the slack sometimes. Um, but people want to hire you again. If you can be dynamic and, you know, take on different pieces of the project without being prepped maybe beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, yeah, being nice, that's, that's kind of easy to do, but, yeah. um, yeah, being like more of a team player and maybe that comes from sports you know like you're not always going to be the lead designer you're not always going to be like the maybe like the main sales rep or um you know you're not always going to get your name on everything um so yeah I think those are like my top things on or that's what why people have asked me to work for them again because I still get reached out you know like brands still will reach out to me from the past yeah, so with opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, Oh, what are you thinking about this? Or I have this idea, you know, maybe like bounce ideas off each other, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And what about, um, along the kind of those same lines? Um, cause I know I've worked with third party vendors in, in various aspects of my work who 
I ask them to do something and they're like, oh, that it can't be done or we can't do that. Like it's like mm. a hard no. And instead of it's it kind of goes in line with what you said of just say yes. It's like, you know what? Uh, let me take a little bit of time to dive into that and see yeah. what I can figure out for you. And I'll get back to you in a day or a week or whatever appropriate timeline it may be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it yeah. kind of goes hand in hand with that whole saying yes thing, right? Right. Yeah. Like there's always a way. There, right. <laughs> or there's always another factory. Like yeah. I run into that a lot with my clients now is, you know, some of my clients are big, some of them are small. So the smaller ones, they can't meet the minimums. But, you know, we just keep asking. We look at different countries. We look at different states. You know, like in the U.S. now, there's lots of places now to manufacture here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I do not take no really for an answer ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this um, leads me. I did have a question about sourcing um, because, like like you said, you work globally uh, all around the world as well as stateside and local um, so what are some of the really big challenges that you see brands facing with sourcing, whether they're startup or established? Mm. Um, well, it's funny, even if you're an established brand, you know, you might be launching a new product, so they may have a ton, you know, maybe in accessories, you know, a ton of different styles and accessories, but when maybe when you're launching apparel, you're not going to order a big amount. You know, even if you already have thousands of stores, the buyer is still going to want to test out your product. Mm -hmm. So I think they all kind of run into the same problem is um, that fine balance of meeting the minimums of fabric and cut and sew, or maybe it's seamless. Like I'm working on a seamless project right now, too. Um, And also like figuring out how how are you going to sell it, right? Like you don't want to be sitting on inventory but you also don't want to pay a ton to actually manufacture it. So it's constantly trying to strike that balance of, all right, you know, do you have a following yet? Do you have stores yet? Um, if not, maybe, you know, do, do pay the higher amounts, you know, to do, to get the surcharges, um, for a smaller round of production. But I think, you know, when they're all kind of starting out or if it's, you know, it's usually like with freelancing, you're usually brought on, to test something new, you know, if there's, if it's already in house or like, if it's already like a well-known piece of their brand, they're just going to use someone in house. Mm-hmm. But usually when freelancers are brought on, it's like, okay, let's test, you know, women's like we're doing really well in men's let's test like a small capsule in women's, or we've been doing really well in accessories. Like let's do apparel. Um, so it's really, you know, getting to know their customer too and what their customer would actually want to wear with, whatever they're already wearing of theirs. So, okay. You're doing a phenomenal job of leading me into each of my questions. This is amazing <laughs> because you mentioned there, um, it's like about getting to know the customer and what they want to wear in conjunction with maybe that other item that they're already wearing from that brand. And mm-hmm. so, um, one of the lines on your bio says, um, who are we designing for? Where is she running? Where is he spinning? What's in their green smoothie? And these are like, these are really specific questions. Like, and I love this though, because there's this whole concept of defining an avatar, um, for like, Mm -hmm. who is your customer? And, uh, so I love how specific you are with these questions. And I, I find that these are things to really overlook and instead just let your own aesthetic drive the design, which is important. You have your vision, you have your aesthetic as a designer, but that's only part of the puzzle. You really have to work towards designing 
for what the end customer wants and what she or he is going to wear. And right. so um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your research process when, when kind of discovering this person and figuring out exactly who they are and is this going to work for them or isn't it going to work for them. And I think this is great insight. I mean, for people who are just getting started out, because it's something I see with startup designers is that they have this idea and it's just their own vision and they can get kind of stuck in just what they want. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you take that and marry it with what the market wants and who, how do you even define who your market is? Who is that person? What's in their green smoothie? Right. Um, yeah. So usually, well, this is, this is also the reason why I've stayed in activewear too, is because I love working out. So I I may not play all the sports, but I understand like how uncomfortable you can get when you're running in something that are you running like a half marathon in, in something that's soaking wet um, or like where it's going to chafe. Um, you know, I've done almost all the sports. Like I used to do triathlons and stand, stand up paddle boarding all before I became a twin mom. Cause you can't really do those with twins, <laughs> with twins. <laughs> Um, but I, I always have my clients fill out a, like a two page questionnaire on kind of them defining their customer. Um, and then I'll, I'll research what kind of what they give me, you know, like what age, where is she going? Um, you know, is this a Pilates or a yoga brand or are we running? Mm -hmm. And then I'll try to like actually put myself in those areas. So then I'll go to a Pilates class or go to a yoga class or run a race. Um, now my races are a lot smaller. They're like three to five miles (laughs) rather than half marathons, but you can still see what everybody's wearing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and like what the daughter, like a lot of moms and daughters run together. It's like, what's the mom wearing versus what's the daughter wearing? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, figuring out the trends because your client is also looking at you like as an expert. Um, you know, what's, what's cool right now? Um, you know, what are the trends? what is a buyer looking for? I get that question a lot. Um, so it's really dialing down who he or she is and then like building a collection around that. And Oh, but always keeping in mind, like what does the client actually want? You know, like what colors, um, what fabric, sometimes they're very hands on and sometimes they're very hands off. So you'll figure that out pretty quickly but, um, some of them need more guidance than others, but yeah, I, I always try to have them define their, their customer at the very beginning and then help them hone that down. But at least I get, you know, little pieces of, you know, who they already are going after, you know, who's their target customer. Yeah. And then you literally put yourself in their shoes and go to those events, those classes and look around. Yeah. Yeah. Or like if I can't, I just had a, a football client, um, in Nebraska and Florida. And I couldn't fly out there and, you know, just see this whole high school crazy football that they're doing now. Um, but, um, it's, it's, it's not like what you play at school. It's like more of a club sport. Um, but so I went to Dick's Sporting Goods, you know, and mm-hmm. walked around and it's like, okay, well, what are the other brands doing? Um, you know, where, where do they need compression? Where do they need more padding? what, what is this padding? How can we make it better? Um, but yeah, so it, it changes every project. So you can't always like actually do the sport, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, just always asking the client. And then, uh, I, I do check out the competitors 
you know, see actually how they're doing it, um, the construction. But then I also always read the uh, reviews uh, online. Like, so say if Nike maybe has like the top compression short, well, then I read all the reviews and it's like, what's negative, what's positive? Like, how can we make it better? And there's a lot of your market research kind of done for you because those people are typically mm-hmm. pretty brutally honest about what they don't yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you can see like what size they are, you know, um, how old are they? Yeah. Things like that. You usually yeah. put that on there. So. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned the buyer too. So I just want to touch on this for a minute uh, because a lot of the brands that I work with, we work pretty closely with the sales team because those are the people that are in front of the buyers day in, day out, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. get that feedback. So how have you gone about understanding, getting inside the buyer's head? That's been more from experience. So, you know, when I was do- selling my scarves, um, the Borelli scarves, what what were the questions I was getting for the buyer? I did a lot of um, trunk shows and pop-up stores, and I had visual m- merchandising experience from Lululemon. Um, so I understand, like, how the buyer wants it to look in the store. Um you know, they want to make sure that it, it goes with the other pieces that they have in the store. Um, so it's pointing that out to the buyer, you know, rather than just like, here's my line sheet. Mm. Um, it's walking them through it. Like, where where would you even see it in the store? You know, yeah. like, oh, is it going on a waterfall hanger? Um, you know, is it being hang- hung up on the wall? Or are you just like actually merchandising it on the shirt on the hanger? You know, because mm-hmm. mine was a scarf. But um it's thinking about all those things. So you constantly have to be watching like what colors, you know, are good for 2017 or 2018. Um, cause you need to make sure that it's actually going to like look cohesive in the store. Right. So if neons are really big or like a, it's more right. like dusty palette Pastels. and then you right. come in with this like fluorescent thing, it's like, that's not yeah. going to look good. Even in the yeah. corner of the store, it's going to stand out. Right. Right. Cause yeah. the buyer, yeah, she wants to make sure everything's sold, you know? Yeah. So you have to like constantly point out, what are the key features? What makes it different? Um, you know, that, and a lot of that was too, was from Lululemon. We were always like dialing that down with the customers, you know, like this is what makes it so awesome. Or this is why I love wearing it, you know, showing it that way. Yeah. Um, okay. So coming back then to your own brand, um, you just said that you did that for about four years and it sounds Mm -hmm. like it was a pretty good success. You were in 60 outlets internationally. Right. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, it's just when you have little ones, like, so I had twins. Um, so a twin pregnancy isn't super easy. So <laughs> I couldn't, uh, like be traveling as much, be on my feet as much as I was before. Um, when you have your own brand, it's a lot of work and you don't know how much money you're going to be making. Like you, each month it's a little tricky to tell so when you have two little ones at home um you know it's tough to like oh let me just hire a babysitter even though I don't know what I'm going to be making next month um and I took time off to actually you know have the kids so you can't just bounce back right away or actually funny story I my water broke as I was cutting fabric on the floor (laughs) oh (laughs) Yeah. So, cause when it's your own brand, they like, there's no turn off switch. No, and I think, I think that's kind of what I needed when I became a mom. Yeah. The twins was kind of overwhelming. So, 
So is that when you kind of said, you know what, I got to put this on hold and yeah. focus on my family and then and, and freelance? Yeah. Okay. Because then I can take on projects when I want to. Um, and some months are busy and then some months like, you know, like, oh, let's go on vacation this month. Okay, I'm not going to work as much. Yeah. And, and like right now, my little son, oh my goodness, he broke his leg last week. I saw the picture. Yes. It's oh. so sad. So, but now, you know, mommy needs to take care of him more. Yeah. Whereas if I was in house, I don't know what we would do. Yeah. So my husband, you know, commutes. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's a good, um, it's a freelancing is a good job. You know, if you want to travel or if you want to take more time off or you just want the flexibility, really, it's just, it's more flexible than it is being in house. So, um, okay, and I want to talk about that. Before we get to that, I want to just step back to your own collection really quickly because um, I, I just have two things I want to touch on. Um, obviously, you had your kids, and that's a huge life change. Um, and, and for you personally, that was the sounds like the biggest reason you said, okay, I'm going to shelve this for now, maybe yeah. forever, but at least for now. Um, outside of that, what what was like the biggest challenge you faced with your own line? Um, I think it was trying to figure out what to focus on when, um, when you're creative and then you start your own brand, you, you, or what I did, I I tended to create, to focus on more of the creative side of it. Right. So picking out the colors, uh, designing the website, shooting the collection, like sourcing the fabric, things like that, Mm -hmm. rather than pushing sales more or, um, like tracking exactly what sold when. Um, so I know for next season, you know, like what, what to order. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, you know, it's better for inventory. Um, you know, like I hated doing inventory, <laughs> I hated doing shipping. Um, even sales is, you know, it's tough, you know, like every 10 stores you call, you'll probably get one. Yeah. So it can get, um, a little frustrating and, you know, the creative side of it was much more fun. Um, so yes, I did get into 60 retail outlets, but I, I probably should have been in more, you know, like I should have spent more time doing that. Um, yeah, that was probably the biggest challenge was you know, you're by yourself. So, I mean, I had like a few interns and like I had some part-time people helping me when I was super busy, but you don't have anybody telling you like, Oh, maybe focus here. You know, like this seems this, part of the business is dropping down. Like maybe you need to spend more time here. Um, you know, you have to make it up as you go. So I try to, um, I lead like a, for all my clients, I, I give them this like two hour call or a meeting, you know, if they are close enough to me, but I call it the apparel startup boot camp, and we do like a zero to six month plan for them and all the things that they should do. And like once a week you have a task. Um, and by the end, then you're able to launch it. So I think I needed more of a roadmap where I was just kind of went into it like, yeah, let me try my own line. <laughs> and so, like one week you're like, I just feel like doing this. And the next week you just, I don't know, I'll focus yeah. on this. And you're just all over the place. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm not a super structured person. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you give to other people who want to launch their own label? Like what would be one thing you could say to them that they could walk away from this interview and say, okay, that's something I'm going to focus on doing and that's going to help me get to success. 
Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would stay at your day job for a while until you get it launched. I quit my job and then started doing the brand. So there's like a good six months basically, you know, of time you're not going to get paid. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even sell your product. So that's six months of, you know, like going through your savings or I don't know, crashing on your friend's couch, whatever you do. Um, but if you were working or at least part-time working, just like keeping some sort of income, then you don't have to worry about that because at the beginning, it's really just getting the word out there of your brand. Um, unless you know, already have an, a huge following, which I didn't, nobody knew about me, but, um, so it, it took a little while, you know, like I think first year sales, I did that in one month, my next year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, it goes pretty quick if you work your little butt off, but <laughs> if, um, but that first like six months year, that's tough. Yeah. So yeah, I would stay. My husband just asked me that, like, what would you change? Really? About, like, your career. Yeah. And I was like, I would still launch my line, but I would have stayed freelancing or I would have stayed at Lululemon or have stayed wherever, you know? Yeah. Um, because then you're still just making those contacts. Like I've always stuck in the same industry, so it would have been helpful. But. And you would have just had to figure out a way to, because, you know, as a, let's say if I wanted to be a startup designer, then I would come back with, well, then I get home from work after I've worked 40 hours and I'm so tired. But I think on some level you like, you just got to figure it out. You got to, um, find the time, you know, and, yeah. and, and I hate to say this, like I sound like an old lady nag, but I'm like, turn <laughs> off the TV, turn off Facebook and like spend yeah. two hours a night working on your own thing. And I think that there are people out there that do it. And if you're passionate and driven enough, then you'll figure it out. Totally. And or like if you become a mom, <laughs> people are listening <laughs> to their moms. Oh my gosh. We, you think you don't have enough time and then you become a parent and you're like, oh my God, what was I doing my whole life before this? Because you have zero free time once, you, or you're, once you're a parent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can find the time. Yeah, two hours, your weekends. Like if you really want to launch it, if you really want to do it, you can, you can figure it out. Figure it out, yeah. Yeah, wake up early. I'm not an early person. No, me either. I'd rather stay up till 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I used to do when I first had the boys. I started freelancing again when they were three months old and uh, I worked at night Yeah. and my first client was in London. So it worked out perfect. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. were working and they were just starting their day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it really worked well. Like I work well with like Australia, London, cause I work a lot at night, not anymore. Now they're in preschool, but yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then back onto the freelancing thing, because this is another like really interesting space in the industry. And a lot of people I've heard say things like, they're so scared about freelancing, you know, you never know like where your next job or your next paycheck is going to come from. Mm -hmm. And yes, you get this great lifestyle. But but the two the two biggest things, and I'd love to get your insights on both of these is the security of it, like, where's my next gig coming from? And how to price, how to know if I'm charging too much, um, how to know if I'm not charging enough, uh, how to get a fair wage, basically bottom line. So you can tackle each of those in whatever order you like. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's do how to price. Cause that was the last one you just said. Okay. Um, I remember my CPA when I first started freelancing, she was like, you need to at least be making $60 an hour. 
And I was like, why? You know, like coming from Lululemon where we didn't make that much money per hour. <laughs> um, and she's like, because you have all your taxes to pay. Like you have to pay your self-employment tax and, uh, you know, all the other taxes. Like I just filed mine and wanted to cry. But, um, yeah, I think you need to figure out like what's your base. Um, you know, figure out all the costs of running your business, whether you're incorporated or an LLC. Um, I'm sure it depends on what state you're in, but, um, figure out the bottom and then maybe like tack on more because the thing is like with freelancing, you might spend extra time on things like QuickBooks, you know, like you're running your own business. Well, no one's paying you for those hours. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to include that in your hourly rate. And I actually do a lot of project based, um, rather than doing it hourly because I've had issues of clients not paying me. You know, if I just did it hourly and I bill at the end of the month and they don't pay me, I'm not, I don't make any of that. Um, so if you do it project based, uh, I always figure out, you know, exactly what the client wants before I build like an Excel spreadsheet saying exact, like I like really lay everything out. Like I'm giving you this many CADs and this many views and this many colorways. Um, and then I do it project base and I have them do a 50% deposit. So, and then I start working. Like I, I don't even touch a project unless I get 50% down mm-hmm. anymore. So you at least know, and that, that leads into like, how do you know where your next paycheck's coming from? Like you at least know you have 50%. Um, and then it, it makes you work harder too. It makes you like stay on schedule. It makes you uh, like deliver it quicker because you want to make the client happy you've already set your schedule. Like I set up a timeline in there. Um, and then you know more, you, you know, and you're not waiting for a paycheck anymore either. You know, cause sometimes people pay late, mm-hmm. you know, people go on vacation, people, are, you know, aren't super organized. Um, but at least you're, you know what you're going to be making those next like two weeks, three weeks. Um, and then, I, again, I would say like stay at your job and save up six months of expenses. Um, my husband and I have like six months expenses just like tucked away. That's Mm -hmm. liquid that just in case one of us loses our job. But, um, I would do that before you actually go into freelancing because you're going to have some awesome months where you're going to work so much and then you're going to have some not so awesome months where maybe like you know, one project gets pushed back. So instead of freaking out how to pay your rent or your mortgage, you know, you already have that like tucked away and you don't need to take on projects that are, um, maybe not ideal for you. Uh, maybe you're making less, like you don't want to take on work. That's not a good fit for you. And that could be, you can't, you're not making your proper hourly rate or, maybe it's like a field that you have know nothing about and you're just taking it on to make the money. Like the client's not going to be happy. You're going to be freaking out. Like just, it's good to like test your knowledge, you know, maybe one step at a time, but don't like take a huge jump into like, I would never try to design, uh, gowns, you know, 
<laughs> just give me all the active wear. I love active wear. Yeah. But that's sick too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I have two questions based off of that. So when you're doing, um, and I'm, I, I'm in the same boat as you, I always do project based. Um, yeah. so when you're doing project based, one of the things I see designers really struggle with is how to come up with that number, how to know mm. what the, what that project should cost. And you don't have I to just break exact- it all down. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, so like, say if it's a, uh, like a women's capsule collection. So I'll do, um, one top, one bottom, you know, one jacket, one bra. Well, I know how long it takes me in illustrator to do that. I know how long it takes me to research for it. I know how long, you know, a tech pack takes me. And maybe this is more because I've been doing it for six years, freelancing for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of gauge how many hours it's going to take you. And then I just multiply it by the hours. Like by the hourly, hourly rate that you want to earn. Yeah. 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 Because you have to make sure it makes sense for you. Like, and now for me, you know, I have to pay for preschool and my self-employment tax and all those other things. So you have to make sure that it's actually worth it to work, I yeah. guess. <laughs> and did you, I mean, that perhaps took some time to learn how to not over or underestimate what the project really entailed to do your, your proper research and discovery with your client to figure out exactly what was included. Also to correctly include that in the proposal um, and, and, make sure that scope creep didn't happen, which is where your client starts asking for more and more things that weren't really included, but you just keep doing them. And then also um, putting a correct estimate on, well, I don't know, I think a tech pack is going to take me an hour, but then in reality, maybe it takes you three hours. So did you get burned a couple times at the beginning and learn your lessons where you're like, ah, this took me three times as long? Right. Yeah. And I still do. Like if I take on a project that's a little outside, you know, my wheelhouse, it might take me a little longer. Like I just did a duffel bag um, and I hadn't done a soft good accessory in a while. So it took me a little longer, but I mean, when it's a project base and you're doing like four or five different things, it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of bound to happen. Um, you're not going to know everything and maybe being okay with that. Um, but, and really start tracking your time too. You know, there's all those time tracker apps. Um, and it keeps you focused and you can like figure out how long it does actually take you to do the CAD, um, you know, and how long does it take you to spec garment, things like that. Yeah. So just adding all that up. And those are things you could start tracking at your full-time job. Just say like, I'm going to make some notes about how long this task takes me. So then when you go to freelance and you're bidding a project of that caliber, you're like, okay, well, I know it takes me two hours for this. And you have a good reference. So those are things you could maybe do to plan ahead. Yeah. And then to touch upon your, um, what'd you call it? Scope creep? (laughs) Yeah. Scope creep. Have you heard that term before? No, 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 no. So but. <laughs> it's just where, you know, I, I give you a proposal. I say I'm going to do this, this, and this, A, B, and C. And then I say I'm going to do three CADs, and I'm going to do front and back mm-hmm. view, just to keep it really mm-hmm. simple. And the next thing you know, your client's asking for, like, eight revisions. And, well, mm-hmm. you know, we really want this to be long sleeve, not short sleeve. And, and they just mm-hmm. ask for all these things. And sometimes they're little, and they happen really slowly. But the next thing you know, it grew into this monster. And the scope of the project creeped out of what it was intentionally supposed to be mm. and um, what you and since you're charging by project that can be a scary space because that's where 
at least. Right. I mean, have you had that happen and how have you dealt with it? Yeah. So when I first started, that would happen a lot. But now um, at the bottom of the proposal, I say anything not outlined in this project proposal. And I I try to be super detailed, you know, exactly what they're getting. Mm -hmm. I even put in like one revision now Mm -hmm. uh, or one to three, you know, I kind of talk through with them. Sometimes they're so detailed, you know, sometimes they're to give me like hand sketches that I know it's not going to be too much back and forth. Um, But if I know it's going, if they're kind of, if they don't have a good vision, then I know it's going to be probably two or three revisions. Um, you know, I might include that in there and I'll include it. I'll just tack it on to the, the, uh, project price. So I can kind of gauge beforehand or you can write it in there. Like if you need any revisions, they'll be billed at your hourly rate mm-hmm. or, you know, anything not outlined in this proposal will be billed at my hourly rate. And I get questions all the time, like, well, what does that mean? And I'm like, okay, well, you're asking for two tank tops. If you ask me to do a headband or a bra, that's going to be billed at the hourly rate. Mm-hmm. Or we go back and do another project. I'm totally fine working on project, but everything needs to be nailed down beforehand. Or else, yeah, you'll get screwed. <laughs> <laughs> and so have you had some of those moments where you're like, all of a sudden they send you an email and they're asking for like five or ten things and it's not included in the proposal? And how does that conver- – have you had to have that conversation? Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, this – yeah, I can totally do this, but this isn't outlined in the project proposal. We've never discussed this before. It's either going to be billed at an hourly rate or – and I try to always give them like the, the option, you know, or it'll be this much project. Yeah. Yeah. So just like I don't like being told no, you know, they don't like being told, no, this is the only way. Um, I try to always give some options. Yeah. So even with sourcing, I do a lot of sourcing for clients. I always try to do a bu- like give a few different options for a fabric or a button or a factory um, because, you know, you can't you don't know what's going to be in stock. Like you just always need some, a few options. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, and I, I've had those conversations too where I have to pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, you know, you're asking for eight rounds of changes and we really only included three. And, and mm-hmm. it can feel like a really hard conversation to have. And I think the first couple of times you do it, it's awkward. But then it gets to the point, it's like, you know what, this is just business. We're just having a business dialogue. Yeah. And this is what it is. And it has to be fair for both parties. Um, and you said it so elegantly, but it's, it's something I know a lot of people struggle with, especially at the beginning, is putting their foot down and saying, no, I can do this, but here's how it's, it has to work either one of these two ways. Right. Like I almost always say yes, but I'm like, this is, this is how I can do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Right. So instead of saying no, just saying, you know what? Yes, we can make that happen. Here's your two options of how to make it happen. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, okay, cool. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about, um, kind of going back to what you said of like, uh, you know, you, you get 50% down. So that lets you be comfortable for a couple weeks and then you finish the project and, and then that, then you get the next payment. And so there's this idea of like, well, where's my money coming from? So that gets you through, let's say a couple weeks or maybe through a couple months, but like, do you ever worry or like, and I know you said you do outreach, um, and, and networking and stuff. And a lot of the clients are just people who you've grown throughout your network over and over. But are you constantly like, Maybe constantly is not the right word, but are you actively, when you meet with people, when you cross people's paths, when you connect with them, are you actively saying and reminding them like, hey, I'm available for freelance or like, how are you kind of keeping you, keeping, how are you helping them keep you in the back of their head? 
Yeah. Um, so I started doing, I sent, I send out a monthly newsletter to, um, my current clients and my potential clients and even some of my vendors I put on the list cause I've become like good friends with my vendors. Um, and so once a month I send out an email and it's, I link five top articles about our industry. So it could be fabric. It could be, you know, how, how Lucy was closing all their doors. Um, so-and-so's going public, things like that. Um, I'll link all, all those articles and just once a month I do like a touch point basically like, Hey, I'm still here, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and I'll, at the bottom, I'll do like a new picture of my portfolio just to kind of keep things fresh. Um, you know, like this is what I've been working on. Like I just did a, we- a wearable technology project. I worked on it last year, but it just launched this year. So I've been using those images and then I just got a wearable technology, a new client off of LinkedIn last week. So it, you know, it's just, it's keeping in touch, you know, it's how they talk about it in marketing touch points. Um, but it's not once a week, you know, it's just, it's once a month. Um, and then if I go to the trade shows, I used to go to OR and magic and all that. Um, you know, I just go by and say, hi, I'm not pitching them constantly. I'm just like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still doing freelance. You know, I'm still, I still have my pulse on all the trends and what's going on and mm-hmm. meeting with, you know, sourcing and, um, I, I kind of, I touch base that way too, but it's not constantly, Hey, do you need freelance help? Hey, do you need freelance help? Cause that's just annoying. <laughs> so. I love the newsletter idea. That's really brilliant. Um, yeah, you well, say, because go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. They look at you like you're an expert. Yeah. And so it's showing them that like you're constantly um, reading up on it, that you are an expert, that you, um, you know, what you're talking about. Because sometimes you're a lot, I mean, when I first started, you know, I was like 25. So I was younger than most of these people that owned the companies, right? And so like, who are you? Why why do I need to pay your hourly rate? You know, I just want to pay you $20 an hour. And you're like, no, that's not what you're going to pay me. You know, I'm worth X. So the more, um, the more knowledgeable you are, then like you can stand behind your hourly rate or your project rate. Um, because you know that you know what you're talking about basically. And they don't always understand that cause they, they might be new to the industry or they might be new to that section of the industry. Um, but yeah, so it's like constantly proving your worth. I guess is a better way to say it. No, that's great. So. And the other way I look at it, like the first thing I thought when you when you said that you um, you send them these five really relevant articles is mm-hmm. not only are you showing that you're an expert and that you're you're keeping up with what's going on in the industry, you're providing them value because right. they may you know this month, this past week, whatever timeline, they may have just slipped on keeping up on some of the news. Like as we all know, it's like information overload out there, so it's hard to keep up on everything. So you can be that. Con- to it. We're like, I'm going to deliver this stuff on a silver platter to you. And I'm just going to give you these great articles. I think these are things you should know about. So it's delivering them great value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to, because um, I, I want to step back and really look at this from like, if I am in a full-time job and I want to go freelance, okay, I, like the newsletter is a great idea, but like you said that you include, um, current and past clients as well as potential clients or prospects would be the best Mm -hmm. word that you want to work with that you haven't worked with yet and some vendors on there. Um, 
are you just like, where are you finding these potential prospects, potential clients, these prospects, and, and how are you adding them to your quote unquote email list? And if I didn't have any clients to start with, like how could I maybe think about doing something along these lines? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've just created this list over the years. Like I've never actually paid for any sort of SEO or Google AdWords or anything like that. Um, my website used to show up on the first page of Google because I created a active lifestyle consultant website, you know, almost 10 years ago. Like mm-hmm. I set it up a long time ago. Um, so a lot of them found me, but, um, just when I go to trade shows too, I'll meet people um, I'm, I pitch a lot at trade shows. Oh man. OR is intense. Um, <laughs> I have to like always psych myself up. <laughs> like I'm like stretching in the, in the entryway and people are like, cause I'll, I'll go with my vendor friends and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, now I have to walk up to like 10 different booths today and they have no idea who I am and they think they don't need my help, but I have to convince them that I can help their brand. Um, so it's, it's like selling, to stores, but it's selling yourself to the owner of the company or maybe the designer or to whoever it might be. Um, and then, you know, I just keep in touch with them that way, but re- reaching out, you know, if you, do, you can't go to the actual shows cause OR gets expensive to go to, um, I would do LinkedIn. Um, I've never paid for that premium LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that's an easy way to do it. It's just so expensive. Um, but you can like reach out to, you know, owners of companies. I mean, you can just blind contact them on, you know, from their website and see, you know, how you can get in that way. But yeah, it's just like selling to stores, you know, it's getting to talk to the right person, explaining why you're different and explaining how you can help them. So can you give me your three to five sentence pitch that you would give if you were (laughs) at OR? And if you need to do a little stretching in the background, I have this great (laughs) visual image of you. It reminds me of Alec Baldwin from 30 Rock. If you're familiar with that episode, he's psyching himself up in the mirror and he's doing this little like game dance. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, No, I totally do that. (laughs) But, but, um, if you could give me your three to five sentence pitch, whether you're doing it in person or whether you're doing it in writing, like how, what are you saying to these people? Yeah. So usually, okay, let's, let's hold on. I try to like understand the brand at first, right? It's not like I'm walking up to a brand and I don't know anything about them. Um, like MPG sport. Okay. Let's go back. Let's go to them. I've never actually worked for them, but back when I was with K active, I, um, with Carrie Walsh's line, she knew someone who worked there. So we like, we, we went out one night at a trade show. So this is like eight, nine years ago. (laughs) Um, so this is like the one guy that I know with that brand. And yes, I follow all these brands on Instagram and like, I know who their new, you know, celebrity endorser is. And you know, like you you need some talking points. So yeah, I guess talking points, do your research. Yeah. Do your research. Um, you know, like what's their new collection right now? Maybe have something in mind on like what to say about it. Um, but yeah, so you just go in. Oh my God. I totally remember doing this to the owner of MPG, uh, at OR last year. Um, and I'm like, Hey, does 
Blaze still work here? I think that was his name. And he's like, who? <laughs> he's like, no, he hasn't. Oh, no, Bill Blazer. He's like, no, he hasn't worked here in so long. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, you know, I hung out with him at the OR show, you know, back when I was with Carrie Walsh and blah, blah, blah. And so you get him talking and then he's like, oh, cool. And he's like, why are you in my booth? <laughs> and then you have to say, like, oh, so now I'm freelance designing. I'm no longer in house. Uh, I work from home. And I was wondering if you guys need any freelance help. You know, I see this awesome new collection. Like, are you guys just going to stick with uh, women's? You know, are you guys going to launch any outerwear next season? Um, kind of getting them to talk about their brand and figure out like what their pain points are. Like what, what, could, what could they go into next? Um, you know, what do they need help with? Like maybe their designer just left. Maybe someone's on mat leave. Um, trying to figure out how you can help them. Um, and so you don't want to just talk about yourself. You know, it's not a, it's not a job interview when you go pitch people, you know, you always have your resume and your, uh, portfolio ready, but you don't need to just like throw that on the counter right away. Cause really you're just like, they're there trying to meet buyers. So you're there trying to provide help for them. Just like, you know, the newsletter I send out, um, but yeah, get them talking and see how you can help them would be my and then always leave with like a, a card um you know show them your portfolio if they want to see it sometimes they want you to come back later just be flexible um but yeah I think just like be nice and be personable <laughs> okay so I'm going to just sum that up because it was a really good formula so do your research and have something relevant to talk about that's um current with like their brand yeah. and, and what they're currently mm-hmm. doing let them know that you're doing freelance and then mm-hmm. ask them a bunch of questions about their brand and maybe directions. Have they thought about doing this? Or have you thought about doing that? And then from mm-hmm. there, you can just, you're going to have to wing the conversation to, to see how it goes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so oh, that's, that's awesome. You can like insert yourself into, this is how I can help you. Yeah. Um, Perfect. Rather than just blindly, Hey, I'm a designer. I do I'm this for a job. <laughs> yeah. Like they, well, they don't want to help you. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's making it more about them than it is about you. Right. And then once you understand where their needs and, like you said, pain points, which is something I've not heard many designers say. I hear that a lot in the business and marketing world. Um, You seem to have a pretty good side of the brain that thinks a lot about that stuff, though. Um, Yeah. Well, because you constantly, like, that's how they're going to sell it to their buyer. Right. So maybe it's from having my own brand, but you're constantly thinking about, you know, how are you going to stand out in the store? Um, and, you know, what, what the customer is going to end up wearing it to. Yeah. So. I love it. Okay. Um, this has been so much fun, Marissa. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, I have one last question that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And mm-hmm. it is, uh, what is one question that you wish people would ask you about working in fashion but never do? Ooh. Mm. I have no idea. Okay, uh, let me let me give you like a like here's here would be my answer. Okay. So I think a lot of people think working in fashion, like working as a designer, like we just frolic in fabric all day and like yeah, pretty colors, okay, I was right? Just thinking about and that like I'm area. so much more yeah. fascinated, not so much more, but I'm so fascinated as well with the whole engineer like I'm actually really fascinated with the technical and the engineering side of things and like 
how mm -hmm. to turn two-dimensional items into three-dimensional things that fit on a body. And so, but no one ever talks about that or like the process of actually sourcing and manufacturing and managing that whole process. Um, so I don't know if I just stole your answer. We can cut my answer out oh. and then you can just answer now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So my thing is um, working in fashion is awesome and it has its perks. Um, but it's just like every other job. There's parts of it that nobody wants to do. I mean, well, I don't, some people like accounting, but I hate accounting. I hate having to like chase payments. I don't, you know, I don't want to be in QuickBooks every single day. But in order to run your business, um, you need to take care of the business side too. So I don't know, probably half of it is creative and the other half of it is measuring and Excel. So it's just like almost every other job. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're all just doing data entry and um, yeah, I'm not just playing with colors and fabric. Although that's what I show you on Instagram, just <laughs> the fun pieces of it. But yeah, I spend a lot of time just on the computer tracking everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, it just drives me crazy. Oh, my job is so boring, you know, or like, oh, I wished I worked in design. And it's like, well, only half of my job is creative. The other half of it is how to get it done, basically. And can be super tedious. Yeah. And <laughs> just as boring as your the boring part of your job, you know, like everyone has an exciting part of their job and everyone has a boring part of their job. And it's like focus on the exciting, like the part that you love. Yeah. Rather than um, complaining about the bad part. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Okay, Marissa, um, where can people find you? Yeah. So my website is marissaborelli.com. Okay. That's M-A-R-I-S-S-A-B. O R E L L I dot com awesome. and uh, on Instagram the same and uh, we'll put Snapchat. I think I'm on Snapchat. Yeah, are you Snapchatting? <laughs> I think yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, um, awesome. I will link to all of that in the show notes. And then, um, is there anything you're currently working on that you'd like to share with everyone? I just got back from a week in Taiwan and I was there with a client and we're doing uh, seamless running apparel and I'm so excited about it because we were at the factories like at the fiber factories we were at the yarn factories we were at the seamless factories I mean it was such an amazing experience being in Taiwan and seeing all that um, and now I'm back home and doing all the tech packs and the design for it so that should be out probably next year. Um, yeah. And then wearable technology. That's like the hot new thing too, that I've been loving doing. So. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank yeah. you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate you chatting with me today. Thanks, Heidi. Thank you for listening to episode four of the successful fashion designer podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash four. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating. And thanks for your support and help.